Hey, welcome to The Revolutionized Mind, a platform about all things mental health. I'm your host, Angelica Galuzzo, and on this show, we use real stories and eye-opening conversations to make you feel less alone and a little more optimistic about what's ahead of you. Come on a journey with me. Bring your most authentic self, and let's revolutionize the mind. Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. So this episode was not planned, but given the current climate of the world, I felt the need to release something regarding the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. To start off, I am definitely not an expert on this topic or really anything in general. I am just an advocate, as I call myself, and somebody who is just passionate about human rights and impacting positive change. I am somebody who likes to be informed, who likes to use my voice to try to make a difference, to help educate others, to really challenge policymakers, especially in this case, because I wholeheartedly disagree with this decision. I know a lot of people are kind of staying away from addressing this topic on their platforms or whatever because they don't like to get political, but in my eyes, this is not a political issue. It is a human rights issue. And when people are targeted, in this case women or people who can get pregnant, minorities, black people who have extremely high mortality rates when it comes to pregnancy and giving birth, low-income families, immigrant families who don't have access to the health care that will still allow them to get safe abortions. This will now force people to, if they are able, find unsafe abortions, which will ultimately just lead to more deaths. And this is something that I am really passionate about and feel called to address because primarily of the bodily autonomy issue. Nobody should have the power or the decision over someone else's body. You cannot force somebody to carry a child full term. Bottom line, if they don't want to, they don't have to. But for other health reasons, some people have to get an abortion for their own health and safety. Some people don't have the financial, the supportive resources, so many different resources to even raise a child. So that is their decision to terminate the pregnancy. If they don't feel like they are adequate enough to bring another human into this world to take care of them, who the hell gets to say that you have to carry this child for nine months or it's a legal crime, you can go to jail? What about rape and incest? Do we see how high those rates are? Is someone still expected to carry that child for nine months after they've been raped? What's the penalty for the rapist? Well, we know it's less than if one were to get an abortion. But where's their legal obligation to the child that they forcibly created? Does it all fall on the person who became pregnant? And this is something that I have been all over the place emotionally the past few days since this has come to be because although 
we as Canadians, whoever's listening to this, I know I have a few international followers. This is going to be a different conversation for Canadians, Americans, people in other countries. And we are not directly impacted by this decision as of right now, although there are talks that people in our political parties have similar beliefs and are working hard to make it happen in our country as well. But regardless, the fact that so many people have just lost the right to make a decision about their own body, their own life, it is life-changing to have a child. It breaks my heart, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm guilty, I'm sad, I, I feel so many different things and I just, I want to do so much, I don't know where to start, I don't know what's actually going to help, I don't know, I don't know. And I, a lot of people are feeling this way. And I'm being genuinely honest as a white Canadian who has always had access to healthcare if I needed it. And it just scares me to know that these people are working hard to take away more rights, to impact the lives of more people that don't align with their very Eurocentric, traditional beliefs. And I have found myself, I've just been scrolling TikTok and Instagram, watching videos, watching other people speak about this, people at protests, very widely known feminists, people sharing their stories of their abortions. And I've been so torn, like I can't get off my phone because I just want to keep seeing more and I want to help or learn more or whatever. And then I just get so flooded with emotions and then I need to take a break and it's just this whole cycle and I'm sure many people are in this boat as well. But then there's this other side of me that has seen several glimmers of hope over the past few days through these videos, through these posts, because of the passion behind it, because of the fire that is being lit under all of these people who are fighting against this decision. You have major corporations putting out statements saying that they will cover the cost for employees to get the procedure if they need it. You see men fighting for the women or people who can become pregnant in their lives that they love. And I feel supported as much as I feel disheartened and helpless because I know that so many people are feeling the same way and want to fight for change. And I'm just some girl with a microphone. You don't have to listen to any of this. And none of this was planned, as I said. I just had a random recording this week, and because of everything going on, we started discussing what's going on in the world with these two therapists who have opened their own business. And I think that they shared a lot of real important information that people need to hear along with all the social media posts but then also some practical advice on how to move through these feelings and things yourself and what we can actually do to take care of ourselves and enact positive change. So I guess this was just my way of standing in solidarity with everything going on, showing that I am another person fighting against this and I am working through my own emotions, trying to do everything in my power to actually make a difference. And I hope you are too. So with that being said, I'm going to play this conversation for you. We talk about Rachel and Joel's journey to becoming therapists in their own practice called Viva Mental Health, but also we get to a deeper level here 
regarding this issue. So I hope you enjoy. If you have any other feedback or things that you want me to share, things that I can learn more about and then put out on this platform, whatever it is, I want to know so I can help. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So today I'm here with Rachel and Jorel, who are the co-founders of Viva Mental Health. And today we're going to learn a little bit more about their personal journeys, as well as how the business came to be. So I'm excited to learn more about each of you. Do you want to maybe start off with just a brief introduction? Jorel can start. <laughs> sure. Uh, my name is Jorel Caraballo. I'm a licensed therapist based in New York City. Um, what should I say? Oh, I guess like a, a random fun fact is I'm actually named after Superman's father. Oh. So that was always my go-to kind of like, let's get to know you kind <laughs> of fact in school. Um, so I kind of rode that one for most of my school career. Um, yeah. I, what else to say? I, I think, you know, I'm professionally a therapist. I spend most of my time doing therapy with people. In my downtime, I like movies, I like food, I like cooking and baking, spending time with my dog, enjoying all that New York City has to offer. Uh, so yeah, that's me in a nutshell, I guess. Amazing. Well, thank you. And Rachel? I'm Rachel Gersten. I am not named after a superhero character. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I am also a therapist, co-founder of Viva. Um, I'm also a runner. And yeah, definitely passionate about healthcare and making it accessible, especially in the therapy space. Amazing. So I always just love hearing people's stories to get to, I guess, how you got to where you are today. So if each of you can tell us a little bit more about your journey to becoming therapists, what has that looked like? Why did you actually want to become one? And maybe some challenges that you've encountered along the way. Jarell, you can go first again. We're just going to keep this pattern. Cool. I like hearing your answer before I speak. So, so you can think. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I, you know, I didn't know that I always wanted to be a therapist. Um, I was always very curious about people. And I was definitely the little kid who was like, why? But also why? Then why? <laughs> um, so asking questions has always been, you know, a part of my makeup. Um I also often talk about that I was also a highly sensitive boy. And so making sense of my emotions, trying to make sense of my emotions and trying to understand my responses to the world around me, I think really informed that curiosity. So it was, you know, every time I was watching TV or film or talking about something, I was always trying to understand like what people actually meant and like what they were feeling. And it wasn't until high school, which I think is still very early, um, but I ended up taking a psychology course, uh, a college level psychology course. And I had this great teacher who I, is, you know, immortalized online because I've written about her, um, Mrs. Romick, who was a teacher from a community college and I think a social worker. And I don't know, she was just talking about psychology in a way that felt really interesting and she was also quite the character uh, she was just fun and weird and <laughs> felt like she was herself and so for me it was really that was kind of really finding psychology as a profession and 
I thought, okay, so this is a field in which I can be myself, I can be creative, I can support people, I can be curious. And after that, it was just like off to the races for me. And, you know, as I got deeper into it and in my own process of like understanding where I was coming from and my sensitivity and my like natural propensity and that, and even just like the things that I learned through life, my own life experiences, therapy became a way in which I could bring all that together in a really meaningful, purposeful way. And so everything I try and do now is about integrating all those things and also being visible as a man of color in this space um, and talking about emotional health and mental, mental health, mental wellness, therapy, healing, all that sort of stuff is just very important to me. Amazing. Before I comment, I want to hear Rachel's response. <laughs> Am I responding to Jerome? <laughs> no, no. Um, I will share my own story. Um, yeah. So pretty actually, I think that's funny. I feel like I knew this, but I had forgotten this part that I also kind of made the decision to become a therapist in high school, but because of a very different teacher experience that I took a psych class in high school, my junior, senior year. And despite the teacher being atrocious, like, I don't remember the context of this, but at one point he called me a train wreck, which is rude. It's rude to do. Wow. Did you not I know, this, I don't know this story? Actually. That's, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I just really liked the class and I, I kind of grew up around healthcare. And so I always, I don't want to say I always knew that that would be my career, but it just made a lot of sense that I was always in that space. And I found myself just kind of having a natural talent or intuition to reading people and to asking questions and kind of understanding where people are coming from and, you know, their experience and being able to read their emotions and things like that. So went to college, declared a major in my freshman orientation. And then that was that. Um, so knew what I wanted to do pretty early on. And that was the decision I stuck with. Nice. Yeah. And there's definitely a theme of like questions. And I find that that's really common in psychology is just the people who are always like curious to know more and ask why, like, why are we the way we are? Why is the world the way it is? Things like that. I think that really helps us to narrow down, like, I guess, different parts of the human experience and really like connect on a deeper level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so diving a little bit deeper, and I think it is especially important today, given everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, but based on what you see in your clients, what are some, I guess, societal changes that you think need to be made or start being made um, to increase our overall well-being? How much time do we have? <laughs> I was like, Rachel should start on this. Okay, one. so I'm going to try to sum this up um, in not five hours. <laughs> I think that there needs to be a general mindset shift. Um, so I'm going to try to stay away from a little bit of like systemic changes there that needs to happen. Um, we need to have generally different people in power and in control of our government that I think understand the day-to-day -day human experience a little bit more and are maybe less motivated by selfish reasons for being in the positions they're in. And that'll be the general thing I'll say on that. But I think more specifically, I think there just really needs to be a mindset shift towards understanding that a lot of the issues I see come from this place of not understanding and accepting that other people have very different life experiences than you do. 
even if you think the world just operates like of course this is fact like very rarely is that the case and very rarely does somebody have the exact same life experience as you do so your rules and what works for you or what you believe should not necessarily be applied to another person um and i think generally that can translate into having a more understanding of different people from different walks of life different racial backgrounds different um ableist backgrounds from people from different sexual orientations or different socioeconomic statuses or social classes, just understanding that all voices need to be heard. And in order to be open to hearing those voices, you need to be coming in with an open mind of like, well, I see things this way, but maybe that's not quote unquote the right way. And I think therapy helps with that because it helps you understand yourself and your own biases in the world around you. But then kind of also taking that out, you need a system to work in that is more accessible that allows people to get as many opportunities as possible being the person they are rather than only having opportunities available to this very narrow group of people yeah i'd also add just and kind of double down on one of those points that um i think that increasing self-awareness is so important as rachel you just said people are really there's a subset of people who are making so many of the choices um, that are dictating all of our lives every day. And I don't know, it's, I think it's very clear to many people that, that there's such hypocrisy and, um, I don't know, like backtalk. And even if you want to take it to like virtue signet, like all these sort of things are happening so much in our culture today. And I think it's really because people don't spend enough time understanding themselves before they sort of project those things outward. Um, and so I think that if, you know, and this is something that I, um, I'm writing about in a book I have coming out in a few months, um, just about if people understand this sort of shadow side of themselves, right? The side of themselves, maybe they don't want to accept that maybe they are greedy, maybe they are biased or prejudiced, maybe they do have racist thoughts, maybe they do have these ableist um, perspectives, maybe they do want to, control other people, women, queer people, etc., because they relish power because it makes them feel more secure. If we can really have people understand themselves more deeply, I think we can, if they do that work, then we can have a better world in total, right? Because people can do that work. They can integrate and see themselves more realistically. They can stop projecting things onto other people. They can make balanced, rational decisions. And I think when everyone does that, then we're all much better off. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would also add to that as well. I think there's a lot of commentary about how the system is broken. The system actually works exactly as it's designed to work. The people who created the system are, were white, cisgendered men, and it's working to keep those people in power. And so I think it's also about education and awareness that the more people actually are told and encouraged to dive deeper into what the system is and how it is actually designed and the history of it, I think the more you really understand like things that need to be fixed rather than a lot of the surface level things that kind of come out of like, oh, well, this is the problem. Well, But actually, like, if you look deeper as to why this is happening, like, you realize, oh, this has levels, 
okay, we actually have to get to like the root of the rot rather than just this like surface level situation. Um, and I think there's a lot of things people accept as just like, well, this is how it is versus like, well, but does it have to be that way? Like, look at why it's that way rather than just accepting this like universal truth is like the way things are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even just like on a straightforward front, like this is banned books. Perfect example. Right. It's just like, here we have Rachel saying we need to be educated on the reality of the structures that were created, the history. And we have a swath of people who are saying, you can't read these books. That's by design, right? Like you can't learn these. We can't teach our children, especially these things, because, you know, again, understanding if they understood these things, what different choices would they make? They probably make a different choice. They probably wouldn't um, maintain the status quo. And so it's kind of like, I don't know, it seems to me, maybe I'm a bit suspicious, but maybe not, that we're creating a dynamic in which people are saying, we're not going to teach our children about these things, or we're not going to allow you to teach our children about these things, because we're going to tell them something else, and they're going to believe what I want them to believe. Yeah, it's definitely like, I think we all feel it now, this big transformative shift that is happening or starting to happen. And so many of us have these ingrained biases just based on whether it was parental influence, the media, what we learned in schools, religion, whatever it was that influenced our decisions. I think so many of us, like you said, Jarrell, like haven't taken the time to really understand ourselves and who we want to be because we've always been told who to be or what to think. And then today, I think more people are starting to question that, are starting to, going back to the system, like Rachel said, like question, why is it like this? Not just accepting that it is the way it is. And Hopefully, if we get more people in positions of power who have these types of mindsets, I think that's really where we'll start to see that shift. Um, But it's just getting there that seems to be the issue. And I feel like so many people are talking about it, but just nobody knows, I guess, where to start or how to actually make those changes on a systemic level. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem is that in by design, it gets pushed back to an individual problem a lot. I get very upset when I see a lot of quote-unquote wellness influencers that are posting things about, you know, here's how to take care of yourself during these stressful times. And okay, that's great. I mean, if you have the qualifications to be sharing that information, which some people don't, but assuming you do, that's fine. But no one talks about the fact that there's actually only so much you can do. It's not an individual problem. Uh, You shouldn't have to live in a world where your rights are being taken away and coping with that, right? The solution is not oh, okay, well, meditate or journal. Like, sure, you have to still get through the day, but that information is being flooded into people's minds of like, oh, here's how I can cope with this versus saying, wait, here's how you can actually change how this is going. And people take very privileged, in my opinion, stances of, well, I don't want to get into politics. I don't want to speak about political things. And therefore they don't actually say like, you know what you need to do in addition to taking care of yourself? You need to make sure you vote. Or you need to canvas or you need to donate to these candidates. Like, by the way, did you know that you can support a candidate that's not even in your district or city or state? Like, here's how you could do that. And educate yourself on, like, how we got to where we are or why certain decisions are happening or whatever it is. But people, like I said, take a very privileged stance and they say, well, I don't want to create controversy because it might not benefit me for whatever reason. Well, then you're not actually helping people, which that can be your choice, but own that versus, oh, I actually want to make a difference versus I just want to, you know, get clicks on Instagram or drive more money or boost my brand, whatever it is. 
Like it's actually mostly a systemic problem and we should talk about that more than just like, well, here's what you can do just yourself to take care of you. Well, but I shouldn't have to take care of me because my rights are being taken away. Like that shouldn't be the situation we're in. Yeah. I I think I just published a blog post for our website that I think was nice. (laughs) But it is about like taking care of yourself during stressful times. But like there's one line where I just said, therapy can't fix this. Right. Self-care can't fix this. Um, Only policy change, only voting the right people in, you know, governmental change is what can fix these real things that some of us don't have the opportunity to ignore. You know, some of us have to be tapped in in certain ways. And yeah, I think it, it, I think we'd be better if more people understood that you know, a lot of us don't have the choice to not care or to not be political. Um, and so, like, join us in whatever way you can to positively impact things for everyone. That's what I think. Yeah, it's the way we talk about it. You know, there's obviously times in which you're going through a difficult news cycle, for example, where you're just so upset. And yes, you need to do something to get you back to like maybe baseline level upset. But you shouldn't stop there, right? And it's talked about as if this is the fix. Like, oh, you know, your rights are taken away or your loved one's rights are taken away or you feel in danger. Okay, here, you know, meditate, journal, exercise, talk to a friend, whatever. And then that's it. It's like, well, but (laughs) that's only going to do so much, right? It's going to take you out of maybe an acute crisis. But I'm supposed to, like, not be upset that my fundamental rights are in danger because I took a walk. Like, that's almost offensive that people are sharing that information in that context with people. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question, I guess. Like, as therapists, how do you even go about addressing this? Because obviously, like you said, I think it's important that you need to get back to that baseline level because a lot of people have emotions running high. And in order to even function, you need to kind of go back down. But like you said, that's not it. And this is such a deeper issue that needs to be addressed. So as therapists, like you're sitting with these heavy emotions, but also wanting to help make a change. Like, I don't know, how do you guys even go about dealing with things like this? That's a good question. (laughs) So I think for us, it's twofold. Um, In session with clients, part of the work is, and this is just generally, I think one of my biggest things with clients is getting people comfortable with the idea of that you can't, and in a lot of cases shouldn't, be trying to get rid of a negative emotion. You might be trying to lessen the intensity of it so you can like get through your day, but you should be mad. Like there's a reason you're mad. You know, when people go through devastating things and they're like, well, I don't want to be sad anymore. It's like, well, no, like you're going to be sad because this mattered to you. The only way to not be sad about something that happened is for it to not matter to you. And that seems nearly impossible or a terrible way to go through life with nothing mattering to you. So I think there's that is getting people to be comfortable being mad and still going about your day or being sad and still going about your day, for example. On the larger side, I think this is part of a large part of why we created Viva and run it the way we do is that as much as we have it in our control, we try to make these services as accessible and inclusive as possible, where a lot of practices in the space are not doing that. Very few are. And so that's kind of our contribution to say, like, listen, we can't, as two people, fix all of this. 
but here's how we can help. And I think that also then allows more people to come in and to receive services that are culturally competent and individualized and holistic. Whereas maybe they wouldn't have the opportunity because there aren't enough people in the space really looking at like, oh, I'm a provider. What can I do to help, especially, you know, within the context of therapy? Yeah. And I'd also just add, especially in the, I mean, this is something we do in the therapy room, but also on social and all the things we do is naming what is happening and validating the reality of it. Um, I think that sometimes, a lot of times, especially mental health professionals get into this sort of, um, I think it's safe and it creates distance, emotional distance for them in which they get to hide and under the guise of being professional, um, not honor the reality that people are living in and that we're living in. And so it can very much have this sort of like two sides vibe to it of like, you know, a client's reacting some way and under the guise of being professional, the therapist will say, well, I can understand why you feel that way or um, that must be hard sort of doing these blanket kind of um, validations, which, you know, are helpful. But I think one of the things that we try and really embody is also saying like, no, that, yeah, I, you're mad. I'm mad too. That's messed up. Right. We should be angry about this, that people's things should change and just honoring the reality of the situation. Because I think sometimes we inadvertently like gaslight or minimize the reality because we as therapists, as mental health professionals also don't want to be seen as whatever. And it's okay to tell the truth. <laughs> it's okay to tell the truth. And um, I think that that's something that we try to embody as much as possible. I think, and that, I think that comes from <laughs> both uh, who Rachel and myself are as humans sort of inform that all the way through everything we do. Yeah, and a lot of people, like, we're just expected to go to work to just continue on with our days and things like everything's normal when so much is going on on an emotional and systemic level. Once again, like, it's just so hard to, I guess, pretend like everything's okay when you really just want to hear that acknowledgement and say, like, this this does suck. We are here with you. Not like I understand those common phrases that a lot of people hear, but more just like accepting what the reality of it is and then trying to move forward in a way that is productive, beneficial to your own well-being and the well-being of others. Because I think you have to consider yourself first. Obviously, you need to be in a place where you're ready to, whether it's fighting, going to a protest, posting on social media, you need to be okay enough to do that. Um, but then also, we really, I think, just need to, this is a collective thing. It's all of us fighting together for bigger change, because it is bigger than the individual, like Rachel said. Yeah. And, you know, you brought up a good point in that idea of want needing to be okay to fight and I yeah like 100% like at the end of the day like you need to take care of you and I think that is a revolutionary act is to be able to especially if you're a marginalized person to thrive despite all of this and so I think part of that is doing your stuff and almost like giving a middle finger to people and saying like no like you're going to try to silence me or hold me down and no I'm going to be my best self instead and so I think that is super important, but also recognizing, and this is part of why therapy is so helpful because so many things are so nuanced and gray versus black or white, is that people are really fearful and hesitant to do things that are going to make them uncomfortable in order to potentially enact change. So I, it wasn't this recent terrible event, but a previous one that I can't recall because there have been so many. 
I got very upset at all the people who were just like, I think it was actually when the decision was leaked, posted on social media. And I'm like, okay, but are you doing something else besides this? Because I feel like this is where your comfort zone is. And it's not doing anything. Like, let's be real about what is really going to make change. And it doesn't have no impact, but it has little impact compared to X, Y, or Z. And I understand that that's not comfortable, but maybe that's what the moment calls for and you need to learn how to get uncomfortable. And that's not even necessarily like going to protests or, you know, any of the things that you see people, unfortunately, potentially sacrificing their safety. It might be cutting off harmful relationships and not speaking to family members or friends or whoever because they supported causes and missions that are actively harmful to other people or it's having hard conversations with your relatives right it's calling out the crazy uncle at thanksgiving and maybe leaving the dinner if that conversation about racist thoughts continues but people are like oh no 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 that's too far it's like well but if that's too far how invested are you really in this and then again kind of looking at those parts of yourself and saying you know where does that come from and why am I fearful of this while also saying I want change? Yeah, I definitely agree with what you said. I think those little personal things go so much larger because you're standing up for yourself. You're standing up for the whole. And when you start calling out or calling in, I like to say instead to try and educate depending on what the situation calls for. Um, you really do make them see a new perspective, even if they don't accept it right away, they might come back to you later, or they might never acknowledge it and just completely be the same because some people are like that. But at least, you know, you did your part, you are defending something that you're passionate about for just general human rights. Most of the time, that's what we are fighting for. Um, And I think that just gives you the confidence to do it in other situations on a larger level. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of living those principles outside of just like a social media post, for example. You know, are you voting in every election, including local and primaries? Or are you saying, oh, no, this is too much to keep up with? Or like, oh, I don't have time. You know, technically, at the end of the day, it's your choice. But then I would really encourage people to question how invested are you in change? And how much do you really think about it as a human rights emergency? And you know, is that congruent with what you're kind of saying when these things happen? Are your actions matching your words, essentially? Yeah. Um, I want to hear a little bit more about Viva as well. I think just going along this, obviously, therapy is a little bit um, quite important right now. <laughs> and people need to work through some of these emotions. So services like yours are very essential. So why did you decide to start Viva? I read a little bit on your website. But if you just want to explain and what has the experience been like for you? Yeah, I think Jarell and I both have similar yet slightly different motives for why we kind of always had this idea in the back of our head of why it was needed separately and then how we came together to create it together. But for me, I, you know, like I said, I kind of always wanted to work in the therapy mental health space, but my personal history with managing a chronic illness has really made me realize how inaccessible healthcare is and for various reasons, right? Like you have the big reasons of that. It's very expensive insurance costs and everything like that, but there's so many other levels of inaccessibility below that. And, you know, like I said, this is another, how much time have we had situations, but it's just really bad for anyone trying to access healthcare that doesn't fit this like very narrow box of what they need. And so given that I was in the mental health space, that was always something that I wanted to create was a more accessible 
just better. That's kind of what we say. We say we're doing therapy better, but it's a better way to allow people to access mental health services. And that's kind of my personal driving force of like, I want to create in this space the healthcare that I, in certain circumstances, did not get, but felt that I deserved and obviously anyone else deserves if they're seeking to improve their well-being. Yeah. And I also add, I think it's about creating the kind of workplace that also we would want to work in. Um, we both worked in not-for-profit in New York City, which if people know, whoa. Um, and, you know, creating an environment in which there was less hierarchy, there was clear direction, there was transparency, um, there was people showing up as humans first which is also how we approach therapy, how we want our team members to approach therapy with their clients. It's like all of that cultural stuff, I think also speaks to accessibility, right? Um, but for us was really important, not only for our team and our clients, but also for ourselves. Like we're not gonna continue to put ourselves through the ringer in these situations in which we are being overworked, underpaid, um, having to hold to nonsense bureaucratic policies and standards that aren't in the best service of the client um but just are this is the way things are this is how you have to bill for this or this is you know this sort of thing and so that that is another big part of why we wanted to create viva and how we want it to continue to be for as long as it can be yeah i love that i think the accessibility piece is like so important and something that goes under acknowledged under even utilized because a lot of people don't know what exists out there a lot of people don't really promote that they are accessible whether it's cultural i know jarell in your bio you have that you specialize in lgbtq plus situations and i think just having that in your bio is something that really shows that you're an ally shows that you do work with these issues specifically and it's something that really gives other people like an invitation into your services which is so needed on so many different levels. And how can people actually get in contact with you and learn more about your services? Everything goes through our website. All roads lead back to the website at vivamentalhealth.com. That's where people can read about the team, our story, inquire about new clients. Uh, you can get a link to our podcast, blog, Instagram, all of the above. So that's kind of where we direct everyone to initially is just go to the website. You'll find everything. Awesome. And I guess wrapping up today with how relevant this is, do you have any advice on how to take care of ourselves, what to actually do to enact change? I know we talked about some things, but just anything you want to leave the listeners with today? I, I think I would just say it's in one, you obviously have to find the ways to take care of yourself that looks different on everyone, but also create a reasonable plan for yourself that you know that you can do to enact or positively impact change. Um, one of the things I said to like one of my clients a while ago that they really appreciate was just this idea of like, you know, quit playing games with yourself, right? You know who you are, you know what you can do, you know what you can't do. So within that, what can you do here, right? If you want to be a positive force for change, what is reasonable and accessible for you to do? Start there and see where it takes you. I would say, and this is going to be a non-traditional mental health response, I think people should really focus on getting to a place where they are educated and able to vote in every single election they're able to vote in. And by doing that, by educating, I mean 
doing a little bit of a deeper dive compared to just like, well, I vote for Democrats. Okay. But who and learn about different things like, you know, there's a big discourse about, for example, should Democrats have codified Roe v. Wade earlier? I would look into maybe why they didn't, right? And I think asking why for a lot of things that are political and related to how our government works, I think is a good place to start. And all of that being in service of being an educated voter in every election you're eligible for. Primaries, generals, locals, all of the above, all of it matters. And I think a lot of people have not been taught that. And so I would encourage people to really spend some time with teaching yourself why that's important. Perfect. Yeah, I think those are really great bits of advice. And I honestly didn't have this episode coming out until the end of August, but because of everything and how needed this information is, I'm going to try to get it out within the next week or two, um, just because I think people need to hear this and it's something that needs to be addressed and it's impacting a lot of people. So to put out this on my platform, hopefully people will be able to benefit from it. And I just really appreciate both of you for coming on today and for sharing your experiences and for talking about these important issues that need to be talked about. So thank you, Rachel and Jorel. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much to Rachel and Jorel for joining me on today's episode. Although it wasn't really the direction we had planned, I'm really glad that we are addressing this because of the importance of this issue. And I don't want to completely take the focus away from them as it was a way to promote Viva and what they started. So please be sure to check out those links that I have in the episode notes as well as they have built a really, really accessible and inclusive practice that I want more people to utilize. But I think they would both agree as well that this is a larger issue that we need to address. So I've also done a bit of research. I'm sure there's tons more out there, but I have also included a few different links and things that you can do to fight against the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, different organizations you can support, where you can find protests, and a few other reading materials. Like I said, there's so much out there. You can Google it. You can find more. These are just the few that I wanted to include on this episode as a follow-up to everything that we talked about, because I know it's a lot, I know it's heavy, and I am just really, really sorry to the people who are directly impacted by this decision right now. Because although I'm feeling all the emotions and all this stuff, it is not a direct threat to me and my health right now, and that is something that I am grateful for, but something that a lot of people don't have the privilege of. A lot of people are terrified for their health and safety, for their overall well-being, mental, physical, emotional, and the unpredictability of what's to come, unfortunately. So while we are acknowledging these harsh realities, um, as important as it is, I do want to reemphasize that I am hopeful. This is something that needs to be fought together like we said in the episode, it goes so much farther than the individual themselves. And I do want to encourage everybody who's listened to this or just anybody who's impacted by this decision, which should be everybody, but to please take care of yourself. This is a lot, a lot to take in and process. And yes, these coping skills are not going to fix anything, but you need to take care of you. 
and validate your own emotions as you're going through this because it's tough. And when you feel ready, let your passion lead you through this revolution. That's something I found myself saying to myself. Find inspiration through all these other badass women and people who are fighting for this and let it just fire you the fuck up. Because change is coming and we will fight this together. Thank you for listening to The Revolutionized Mind. Please take care of yourself. You can always reach out to me if you need anything. Again, not an expert. I can always just try my best to be there for you or to give you any resources that I can find. Take care, and I'll be back soon.